When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the new podcast from the Huffington Post UK's politics team. My name is Owen Bennett. I'm Ned Simons. I'm Graham Demonick. And we will be talking you through uh, the week's political news, starting with uh, tax credits. It was a bit of a nightmare this week for Mr George Osborne. Graham, why don't you tell us uh, all about this? Yeah, um, probably the uh, biggest humiliation um, so far for this for this government. Uh, they were defeated in the House of Lords over their plans to, ta- uh, to cut tax credits. Um, the Lords effectively voted to delay and compensate people who were hit by this, but what it really does is uh, takes the plan back to square one. So Osborne has to think again about how he's going to get these £4.4 billion worth of uh, cuts via tax credits uh, through. Um, There was that aspect of it, but also it prompted a constitutional crisis. Constitutional crisis. Constitutional crisis, which I I was sat in the same room as you in the Commons, and you you were... you were, fr- you were hiding under the desk. I was terrified. I was terrified. Leaving. I didn't know what was happening. All these Salisbury conventions and the like were just being torn up in front of my little eyes. Yeah. And it was almost like my A-level politics didn't mean anything anymore. <laughs> yeah. You get, had to give me two rings when you got home to let me know you yeah. were safe, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. You did A-level politics? Yeah, I tried. It doesn't show. Um, so, 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 so the government uh, prompt, uh, announced they would do a snap review into, um, in, into the Lords and to make sure that it doesn't um, do, do this bad behaviour again. Isn't that all um, a distraction, though, the, the constitutional crisis thing? I mean, isn't yeah. it just them trying to think out the fact that they messed up? Because it's his own fault, isn't it? He should have done it in a bill rather than in an SR. Before we go down that route, chaps, let's have a little listen to uh, Baroness Hollis, who was... Um, Labour peer who tabled one of the amendments which got through and she gave a really good speech where she sort of talked about, she read out in Corbyn style some of the uh, emails she had people affected. Finally, my lords, Tony and Jacinta Good from my city of Norwich. He is in full-time work above the living wage. She is the carer of two substantially disabled children. They are exhausted. Their Christmas letter will tell them that they will lose £60 a week, £3,120, £3,120 from a family where he's in full-time work and she's caring for two disabled children, £3,120. We really, my lords, don't need to do this to them. That was Baroness Hollis there. Ned, you were saying that this is basically, it's completely Osborne's fault, right? Yeah. I mean, so the Lords knocked it back because it was an SI rather than a proper bill, and he tried to do that, I, I suspect, because it meant there was no debate in the Commons What's, on it. what's an SI? This sounds yeah. like something yeah. I was told not to when I was at university. It sounds terrible. legislation. So uh, there's brief debate in the Lords rather than having a full proper bit of legislation in the Commons, which means you kind of get, you know, make the changes without a big debate, but of course it meant the Lords could knock it back, and they did. So it's sort of his own fault. It, 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 it is... Pr- Providing this kind of phony constitutional uh, crisis is, is 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 a bit phony because it provided providing cover as I think as uh, John Craig 
Sky's illustrious political correspondent pointed out Absolutely. that people don't care about the soldiery convention when they're losing money. And I think that's the kind of, kind of bottom and, line here. And he would have a point, I think, about the laws overstepping its, over its, its bounds and its authority if it had done that. But it did what it's allowed to do. And, you know, I'm personally in favour of elected lords. And if the lords kind of goes against what the, the will of the commons thinks, I think that's a bad thing. But it didn't actually do that. So there was two, there was two sort of con constitutional things here that they supposedly ignored. The first one was the Salisbury Convention, which uh, came in 1945 after Labour. I am reading this, by the way. I am reading this, right? This came in 1945 following Labour's election win when they only had 16 peers in the upper chamber. So the Lords decided, look, we're not going to block any legislation that you put forward if it was in your manifesto, right? It's a bang. Mm -hmm. Was it in the manifesto? Yeah. Osborne says that these cuts were, because it said in the manifesto, there'd be £12 billion of welfare cuts, OK? The second thing that they apparently broke was the notion, this comes back from 1911, that Lords don't vote down any financial acts, any financial legislations. The argument was, again, this is to do with finance, so you shouldn't vote against it. But as you said, it was actually done in this technical thing. It wasn't part of a financial bill, it was a statutory instrument. So they're the two things that Osborne's getting yeah. given a twist about, right? Yeah, and that's... Great, but the big question for me, <laughs> <laughs> the big question for me is, don't sound excited, is well, no, but there's 4.4 billion pounds worth of cuts here, yeah. and the question is, kind of, where does where where, where where does he where does he find this? Where does he find find this money to to uh, contribute to the to the 12 billion pounds worth of cuts that he promised in his manifesto to yeah. deliver? And they can't do it in VAT because Ed Bulls and Labour before election managed to get them to rule out raising raising VAT. You're doing there oh, is you're listening to what they said before the election and thinking that bears any relevance to what they're saying now because didn't before the election <laughs> David Cameron say they weren't going to touch tax credits at all well, right he sort of carefully didn't but then Michael Gove did but Gove explicitly said yeah. when asked said are you going to uh, cut tax credits said no I mean, so that, is, stitched that is pretty fantastic <laughs> there seems to be and I think uh, it was uh, Torsten Bell from the Resolution Foundation uh, wrote a piece today saying there are probably three ways that Osborne could go in terms of where does he find his £4.4 billion? Pounds. He could reduce uh, he could re reduce the impact, but then that would mean he has to find the money from somewhere else, so cuts would have to come from another area. Um, he could phase it in over a longer period, but then the pain would be over a longer period and the political pain would be longer on the short, sharp hit for the government. And the third was that he could uh, just apply it to uh, new claimants, so people who are already claiming tax credits. Um, wouldn't be affected. Probably there again is, well, you know, you've got a big black hole in your. Yeah. So this is a massive headache for him, and he's got to kind of come up with a plan in the next month because he's going to say at the autumn statement, this is what I'm going to do. And frankly, it's not very obvious what he's going to do. What does it mean for his leadership ambitions, if anything? Uh, well, they're not. They're not great. It's not great, is it? Obviously, <laughs> I mean, to state the obvious. But you know, lo longer term, he recovered from the pasty tax. Yeah. He recovered from uh, the Omni, well, the boot at the Olympics and the general kind of Omni shambles budget. So I think to kind of write him off on the basis of something that happened in 2015, when 2020 is the time when he might be pushing for his leadership, I think is probably a bit premature. I'll tell you why I disagree with you on this a little bit, Graham. Loath as I am to do that. The thing with the pasty tax is I can't imagine that many many MPs were getting constituents coming through the door mentioning the pasty tax, right? It was quite good for us commentators to talk about it, and there was a general sense that it was a bit ridiculous. Bit of a laugh. Wasn't exactly, it? but I think that, that you know, 
Tory MPs in Marshall seats are going to have constituents coming to them saying, look, under these plans that you wanted to put through, I would have lost this amount of money. This is this will be brought up on the doorsteps. And the way the Conservative leadership election works is unlike Labour, the Tories, they uh, the parliamentary party vote to get down to two candidates, which then go out to the membership. Now, there's a case here that Boris Johnson might position himself as a kind of compassionate Conservative following on from David Cameron role, which is kind of where Osborne would want to be. And then it'd be up against a real... Tory, EU sceptic, which is where Theresa May is trying to put herself. Mm. So I think this really does damage George Osborne because a lot of constitu- a lot of MPs are looking at their majorities and going, hold on a minute, mate. Why am I dealing with, why am I dealing with your, your, your policy here, which is so unpopular? Which is why the autumn statement is so important. How does he, yeah. you know, his get-out his get trick, how is he going to, the great escape, how is he going to escape the problems there? So that was the tax credits. That was probably the big story of the week. But... Um, Promises questions was was fun this week. It was it was fun. It was interesting because uh, Jeremy Corbyn has this thing where he reads out questions from um, voters have emailed in, and one of the complaints about that was that he then sort of darts from topic to topic. This week he had six questions and he asked them all about tax credits cuts. This is the final question where he did read out an um, email from um, someone who um, contacted him about how much they were going to lose. But listen here for the Tory response when he says he's about to read an email. Jeremy Corbyn. Anyway. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I've five times asked the Prime Minister today whether or not people will be worse off if they receive working tax credits next April. He's still not been able to answer me or indeed many others. Can I put to him a question I was sent by... Mr Speaker, it might be very amusing to members opposite, but I was sent this question by Karen, and she, I quote, why is the Prime Minister punishing working families? I work full time and earn the living wage within the public sector. The tax credit cuts will push me and my family into hardship. Can he give a cast-iron guarantee to Karen and all the other families who are very worried what is going to happen next April to their income, how they're going to make ends meet? He could give them the answer today. I hope he will. I ask him for the sixth time, please give us an answer to a very straightforward, very simple question. We heard there was some sort of jeers from the Tories as he says he's preparing to read this email out. It's not a good look, guys. This happens every week. Every week, Jeremy Corbyn stands up and says, I've got an email from so-and-so from somewhere. And they go, oh, blah, 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 blah. These are the voters' people, right? You can't just boo them. It's not on, right? He's developed a bit of a formula, hasn't he? He's kind of, you know, goading the Tories to jeer yeah. and then also doing a bit of side-eye as well, which... He's got a which, strong look about the... I thought it worked very well this week. I think he kind of managed to, to kind of finally, only after three weeks, kind of mix the letter from a constituent but then the kind of more traditional follow-up questions. So he actually nailed Cameron, you know, six times with this question, but then yeah. employed this, this letter from, from a, a, a person. And as you say, and then people booing that looks really bad. I actually think he did quite well. Well, I've got the responses. So Cameron was asked six times, basically, will anyone lose out, uh, will anyone lose out money because yeah. these tax credit changes in April? And six times Cameron didn't answer. The first time, he said he was committed to a high-pay, low-tax, low-welfare economy. 
The second time, he said people would be better off through cutting their taxes, raising their pay. The third time, he just said that Mr Corbyn didn't want to cut any welfare, so what's the point? The fourth time, he said that um, Labour were unelectable and the laws were unelected. The yeah. fifth time, he said that actually he, it was about child tax credit rather than working tax credit. And the sixth time, he just said that um, everyone's going to benefit from a growing economy and rising um, employment. So six times he didn't answer. Um, he was getting a bit. Of, he was getting a bit annoyed, Cameron, because he didn't allow him. What Cameron's really good at, and this is where Miliband fell into the trap during PMQs. If you try and take Cameron on in a sort of public school style debate with lots of sound bites and rah rah rah, you're going to lose because Cameron's the master at that, right? Cameron is always going to beat you at that. That's in his DNA. Jeremy Corbyn is going for the kind of low-level magistrate, just gently <laughs> questioning forensically yeah. kind of thing. It doesn't make great telly. A lot of our fellow journalists don't like it. I personally think it's a really good tactic. But it was it was a, it was shades of control politics almost. He's picking a one area and just going for it and and repeatedly questioning. I know it was the same question, literally the same question again and again. Yeah. But but that's how. You know, for us journalists, think PMQs is effective. Is you, is you find a weak spot that the opponent has and you exploit it and you keep exploiting it. And but that's and that's what he did. And he had a soundbite that you could clip nicely on. But the if Corbyn could keep that going of asking this, you know, really hammering home one message, but not getting riled up as Miliband did, yeah. like you said, yeah. um, Cameron then can't uh, kind of get out of jail by just shouting because he looked really, he looked really weird if he's kind of screaming his head off and Corbyn is being very. Geography teacher. Well, it's probably unique circumstances this week. Though. I mean, Corbyn could, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't lose this week. You know? Well, he was saying, I, I, did speak well. To, I did speak to someone high up in Labour and I said exactly the same point. I said, Corbyn, open goal for you this week, wasn't it? He said, yeah, but never underestimate the ability for Labour to put it over the bar. And it, so there was a yeah. sense that surely you can't miss with this one. But that happens yeah. quite a lot. I remember so many PMQs you go in thinking, well, you know, Miliband's got this, open goal. And then it, it would just completely miss it. Yeah. So all in all, we were going to say good good week for Labour. Do you think good week for Labour? Good yeah, week I mean, for yeah, Labour because it was such a bad week for the Tories, rather okay. because they did anything particularly well. Well, going on from the, the, the sort of big grandiose four point four billions, uh, let's go on to something which is actually a bit less money, but it provokes just as kind of equal a kind of uh, news story, and that was uh, the tampon tax. Ned, if you want to talk us through that. Yes, so there was almost another defeat for the government this week as part of well, the tax credits, and that was on the tampon tax. And what this is about is that there's still a 5% uh, VAT on tampons. So there was a Commons debate about it, and we're going to hear a clip of Stella Creasy, the Labour MP, uh, challenging a Tory. I'm sorry, I, I have been very clear with the member for Stone. Unless he's prepared to talk about the actual products that we're talking about, I won't take any more. <laughs> if, if he's indicating that he can say the word, I will happily sit <laughs> With respect to the question of sanitary towels and tampons, could I say... That was Stella Creasy. Uh, With me is Louise Ridley, who's a HuffPost political reporter as well, who uh, watched the debate. Um, Did you think this debate made Parliament kind of look good for women, or did it look really kind of bad? I mean, the fact that they lost a vote wasn't that great. I think, I think it was a bit of both. It was a bit of two, two worlds. And in that um, Stella Creasy clip, you would have heard her basically calling out Bill Cash, the Tory MP, saying... Can you say the word tampon? So he was he was voicing his support. <laughs> he voted against, but he was voicing his support yeah. for the principle, which is great. She was welcoming that, but he kept saying products. So he brought it up several times. He was speaking very positively, but he could not say the word tampon. And she, um, it got really really lively, which is you know kind yeah. of great fun to watch. But um, she eventually just said, you know, if I'm gonna, I'll only sit down or I'll only give way if you can actually say the word. And then he did say the word, and there was a big cheer 
from the people who were there. There wasn't a very full chamber, which I guess makes it not yeah. look that good. Um, I think it was a mixture of two. It's great that it came up, and there were some really great passionate speeches from Paula Sharif, who raised it. She yeah. said, you know, it's only thanks to women MPs that this is being talked about, which is, you know, both good and bad at the same time. She also pointed out a lot of people in the room were probably there to talk about Europe. She said, thanks to all the men yeah. for being here. Because that was the strange thing about this debate was it's kind of this weird alliance between kind of uh, female MPs and male MPs who want VAT um, on tampons reduced to zero, but kind of your hard right Tory Eurosceptics who kind of saw this as a chance to give Brussels a kicking. Yeah, it was a couple of things in one. The VAT still on tampons is that it's European Union rules and Labour kind of brought it down to from I think it was at seventeen they brought it down to five percent when they were in power, but they couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, they can't. And Brussels needs to change now. The government won the vote because they convinced. Um, the kind of the toy Euro skeptics who you wouldn't think as being the most kind of feminist of, of, mm. of MPs oh, that they would. Uh, <laughs> 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 I'm definitely getting in trouble that way. I thought, um, I thought one, one nice thing. Hang on, yeah. One nice thing was that only three Tories rebelled against the whip, but they were all men, which is nice, yeah. I suppose. You know, so it was an important point, and it was quite a significant moment for talking about women's issues for sure. Yeah. And I think they uh, they managed to convince uh, the kind of Tories that they would lobby. Uh, Brussels to, to get yeah, there's been an meet. agreement of that sort of outside the House of Commons, which is great. So. Did you, do you say you're slightly removed from the Westminster bubble compared to us? Did you think, <laughs> as a result of the um, the kind of Bill Cash story, can slightly slightly kind of amusing that it kind of cut through a bit? The issue kind of cut through that, that definitely. I mean, something being raised like this is really important in terms of the media, such as ourselves covering it. So we covered it. Everyone thought that was great, and there is a real movement around the tampon tax thing. It's it's becoming bigger and bigger. So yeah. Do you think people definitely. know know that it's there is a you know. I, I tend to think that people don't really know what 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 is taxed and what isn't, and mm. the comparison between there is a tax on tampons, yeah. but there isn't on pita bread. There isn't one on um, men's sanitary items, which well, are razors, which is quite interesting. Well, so they're gonna, essential. I'm just going to stop you there because it's almost yeah. like we're reading my script. You've, you've neatly gone into uh, into this week's quiz, which this yeah. week is called uh, it's uh, called tax exempt or government content, and this is about. <laughs> Right. Say that again. Just that so tax it, exempt or yeah. government content. Yeah, that's, it's, that's it's, a struggle. It's, but it's, I've got there in the end. And this yeah. is. I'm going to read out some items, and you need to tell me whether these are tax exempt Ooh, okay. or government content. I.e., there is tax on them. Okay. It's not difficult, Graham. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to struggle this. Okay. Nicotine patches and gum. Are they tax exempt or government content? Um, you can I, all have a go, it's not just down to ground. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, dive, dive in, dive in. I, I, uh, tax exempt. I'd go with that too, I have no idea, that's my guess. No, I'll go the other way, the contempt. Yeah, 5%. Uh-huh. 5% VAT on this. Same as the tampons. So it's not a luxury then. Incontinence products, tax exempt or government contempt? Probably government content, that's the same, same as life. Yeah, yeah there is tax on that. There's not, not oh. percent. What? It's going to get better, ready? Selling a helicopter. Is that <laughs> selling it tax right. exempt or government content? Well, when I sold my helicopter... <laughs> uh, uh, I think tax, tax exempt, because that would be the ultimate irony. Yeah, you've let it stand apart here, haven't you? Yeah, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is tax exempt, 0% on that. Uh, men's razors, tax exempt or government content? did raise this just now, so I'm going to say tax-exempt. Very unfair. Because yeah. it seems to be a man's world, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> you're, yeah, and you're wrong. Oh. 
I know. Oh, this was, I brought that I, in as a fact. Oh, 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 Am I going to be man? Is this mansplaining going on? Yeah. I looked into this. I really looked into this. And men's razors are not except there's, there's VAT on them. Yeah, it's a commonly missold. It is a commonly missold. Thank absolutely. you. Absolutely. I'm sorry to, to set one straight. EU, another EU miss. I know. And finally, uh, Jaffa cakes. <laughs> Tax exempt or government Oh, this is that whole stupid biscuit thing, isn't it? <laughs> this is That's a whole other show, isn't it? It's yeah. whether they're a biscuit or a cake. Okay, so basically, there's no VAT on cakes. There is VAT on luxury biscuits. So no, no, what do you think? Yeah. Tax exempt. Do you think it's tax exempt, right? Yeah. So you think it's, it's a cake? I think it's a cake. Graham? Uh, yeah, it's exempt. I know it's exempt. Louis? I think it's a biscuit, so I'm going to say the opposite. Right, okay. It went to court, this one. It went to tribunal. Um, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, who apparently got nothing better to do, claimed that it's a biscuit because yes. they're the wait no 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 no, no. Oh. because they're the size of biscuits and eaten instead of biscuits. McVitie's who make Jaffa cakes said they were small cakes. McVitie's won. They are called oh. Jaffa so cakes. There's no VAT. Well, fair. that's a big clue. And finally, um, Pringles. Another one that went to court. Um. Uh, Tax exempt or government content? Government content, I haven't done that one yet. Was there an argument over what a Pringle was? (laughs) There was an argument. So basically, uh, they have to pay VAT. It is government content. Because despite being only 50% potato, they are deemed as a potato crisp. (laughs) All right? Right. That's that's tax exempt or government content. So more of that, (laughs) more of those quizzes next week. That was really fun. And to wrap up the tampon section of the show, uh, here's a clip of Jess Phillips. It is an absolute necessity for every single woman to use sanitary products. Yeah. Uh, there is, I cannot think of another product I would consider more of a necessity or yeah. one that I could live without Yeah. less. Because there are, there are, there are other things that are... There's a, a kind of mad list of things that are defined as, yeah. as, as a, a being zero rated, yeah. but the same as like, like pita bread, Jaffa raises, cakes, Jaffa cakes yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So that comparison makes it a bit, a bit crazy, really. Should, should yeah. the government be doing more, though, to, to kind of push for this? I mean, like, are they doing enough? Well, the government aren't, weren't doing anything uh, yeah. before today, yesterday, um, so they should absolutely be doing more. I am delighted that the idea of it being uh, part of Cameron's renegotiations that he has to go and talk yeah. about tampons. Um, but they, they should absolutely be doing this. It, it, it's a matter of equality. There is a tax that is only paid by the women in this country yeah. that simply isn't being paid by the yeah. men. And, and some of the Conservative men, shall we say, uh, were struggling with the, the word, the T word. Yeah, um, tampons. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but eventually you managed to get them to... Yeah to say it so that was a, a minor triumph it was a minor triumph and it, you know it's always lovely when a, a group of what could be said older more older more conservative men want to come and talk about periods um, so I was delighted that the Eurosceptics used it as that opportunity and I shall look forward to seeing them at women's questions at treasury questions uh, talking about this very topic uh, I might send the, their staff some questions that they they might want to use now that they're so interested in in town and now Graham is going to tell us about food banks and Ian Duncan Smith, I think. Is that right? Uh, it is, yeah. So Ian Duncan Smith, the Work and Pension Secretary, was appearing before the Work and Pension Select Committee of MPs where he announced that um, uh, job advisors are going to be stationed at food banks um, to help people um, find, find work effectively, um, which was uh, a, a, an unsurprising announcement. 
Uh, so sorry, a surprising announcement to make, but I think it got a few people's backs up given that um, IDS has made the point that uh, we shouldn't be relying on food banks um, to help out the world. Know, and actually now, now he is relying on food banks to help. And didn't they say before there was kind of no link between um, benefit cuts and food banks and all that kind of things, isn't it then? Is this like a tacit acknowledgement that there is? Or Yeah, it, it, it's hard to kind of pick what it actually means, but the, the Trust will Trust, who uh, the charity that manages a large number of, um, of food banks, so they haven't even been... This, this issue hasn't been discussed with them, and they knew nothing about it. While in principle, they didn't necessarily think it was a bad thing. I think they, I think they thought it was quite curious that they were being co-opted into something, given that they've almost been at loggerhead. Isn't the problem here that people using food banks are not people that are unemployed, right? This is not about people that haven't got jobs, people who can't earn enough money to pay for things. Is that not one of the big criticisms of this? Yeah, it, 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 so the, the, the critics could say this shows that the, the conservatives don't under, they, they just don't get it, they don't understand the problem. They, they just don't they get just it, don't do they? Get it, prodding in their chest. Yeah. Um, well, it's a, yeah, you're right, it's an example that the idea that people who don't have enough money to buy food, the fact they're not there in work as well. It's another example of, of you know, it, working it, poor. Yeah, I think in, in, in his defence, I think the argument would be that people do come to food banks and, you know, they, they might be struggling to, to claim the benefits that they're entitled to and they might be looking for work and, and this might be an avenue to, to help them out. In principle, it's not a bad thing, but I think it's almost a kind of, uh, maybe one goes far as saying hypocrisy, but the kind of contradiction perhaps of, on the one hand, saying we don't need food banks, but then saying actually we do to help them out to... to address uh, unemployment figures. Um, I so think he's that, nice to Graham's stat of the week. The stat of the week, a, regu- a regular feature. And just to be clear, uh, Owen presents with the stat just before going into the show. <laughs> so mainly to bamboozle me. And just <laughs> Written in crayon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in his illegible uh, handwriting. Um, stat of the week is relating to food banks. According to the Trust of Trust, as mentioned, um, in 2008, 26,000 people were given food parcels, which effectively gave them support for three days in the form of food. Um, that had risen to just over a million by 2014, so in four years. So there's a 400% increase in four years. 4,000%? So it's 4,000. <laughs> Come I'm on, missing, it's three I'm missing, zeros. I am missing out a zero there. Um, she went for DWP. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so I think that demonstrates perhaps how reliant people have become on become on them. Um, you know, there's, there's kind of counter-arguments in terms of the figures that... IDS himself was, was keen to point out, but again, we could be going down a long avenue of discussion on that, so it's perhaps best to, 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 to move on. Um, so, um, Owen, this week you uh, spoke to another newbie MP yeah, um, as, part, as of, part of our series, 1515. Absolutely, we do this series where we've interviewed 15, we are in the process rather of interviewing 15 new MPs from the Labour Party, from the Conservatives and from the SNP, not Lib Dems. No new MPs there to interview. Um, and 15. And this week we interviewed James Cleverly, who's MP for Braintree. And let me just, I'm just going to read you out uh, the quotes from the standout quotes from the article, um, in my opinion. When the left do all their maiden speeches, which are supposed to be non political, and they stand up and say, Oh, the hardship I have known, and you Tories will never know, I'm sitting there very quietly saying to myself, Fuck off. You have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> James Cleverly, right? Yeah. I'm not yeah. going to give you the context. No. I'll just let, no. It, let it hang there. Um, 
So that was that was James Cleverley's 1515. And join us again next Thursday and we'll be discussing that and much more besides. Hopefully we will be able to entice uh, Paul War, our boss, <laughs> to come back from holiday. Yeah. Spend some time with us. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening and uh, see you next week, yeah? 